0: Hello oh, and welcome to another episode of Breaking Mayberry, formerly titled
1: The Fish and Hole. next week titled Something Else, we don't know. We're still trying to come up with a pun, it's really hard to come up with puns about the Andy Griffith Show.
0: Something about a fightdom? Would
1: fights work? I uh, don't know. I proposed X going to Griffith to you, but <laughs> it got no traction. <laughs> Please tweet Andy Griffith puns at us, watch enough Andy Griffith to come up with a pun.
0: I'm sticking with Breaking Mayberry for right now though, because it is like in essence what we are doing. We are yeah. breaking the idea of Mayberry. Yeah. No, um,
1: absolutely.
0: Yeah. You know, uh like it also makes me think of like not necessarily Breaking Bad, but like do you ever see you ever see the Breaking Madden pages that Deadspin does every once in a while? Where like a guy tries to come up with the worst settings of Madden he ever could, tries to just fuck with the game yeah. entirely. Yeah. So that's what I, that's what I think we're doing with this is just we're deconstructing mayberry which is actually better than breaking mayberry As I say it out loud
1: yeah right. i i i spent like 3 days just staring at a window and trying to come up with a a twin peaks uh mayberry pun and just nothing like it cuz that i'm sort of like like at this point creating a seedy like amoral underbelly for for mayberry i'm basically lynchifying it we
0: should definitely do uh like a serial podcast style thing like
1: dun 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 but like, when I like, met
0: Otis, the town drunk, <laughs> he had been in t- in jail for three hours.
1: What do you remember about your childhood? Can you really tell me every figure in your life? Don't get me. Yeah. <laughs> do, 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 do. Mayberry is an innocent-looking town. That's my yeah. In this episode, we are co- we are
0: going to cover uh, episodes three and four of the first season of the Andy Griffith Show. Uh, they are called "The Guitar Player," directed by Don Weiss and written by Jack Ellenson and Charles Stewart. And episode four, Ellie Comes to Town, also directed by Don Weiss and written by Charles Stewart and Jack Ellison.
1: How do you think they break that up? Like, the the writing? The billing,
0: it? Yeah, it's The same dudes. They just have different billings on each episode.
1: I, I imagine that there was, like, an angry, uh, like, like an angry writer's room shouting match where there was, like, you can be top billing for this one.
0: Now, like, b- before we get into this, though, Dan. Yeah. I have a special surprise for you, mm-hmm. because if you'll put those headphones in your ear. Mm-hmm. You, last week, you and I freaked out about, uh, episode two. Manhunt! 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 And we talked about, like, how it was kind of the, uh, genesis of how weird and horrible Barney Fife can be, and how he's, like, always, like, he's always at manhunt level, is what we said. Well, so I did some research, and, um, so the show's theme was written by a man named Earl Hagen, a composer. And Earl Hagen also composed themes for different characters. Would you like to guess what Barney Fife's theme is That's actually the called? Cool.
1: Like, his his musical theme?
0: His musical theme is named Manhunt. I'm gonna play it for you.
1: Okay. Oh my god.
0: It is very militaristic.
1: It's very much the bad guys are marching. It is like Star Wars beats Nazi.
0: Like, it is... Yeah, no. Yeah, they... They do not shy away from this. This is Barney Fife's official theme song.
1: No protagonist or even morally neutral character has ever done anything to this music. (laughs) Ever. Like, no okay thing has ever... Like even like at its most charitable, this is the music in Mash that the Dick General shows up in.
0: Right, right. This is when like the racist general comes in, example.
1: Oh wait, towards the tail end, it kind of turns into like oh, like it's jazzy. Like this, it it turns into like nineteen seventies chase music a little bit. It's silly. I mean,
0: it's a good beat.
1: Yeah. No, it's. Oh, shit. Like, yeah, it, t- it kind of gets jazzy. Like, they're, like, this, it turns into the music that a Mustang races down a crowded San Francisco street and knocks over an orange cart
0: So that's Manhunt, the actual Barney Fife theme. So
1: they're really, they're gonna lean the fuck in. They're aware, they're clearly aware that Barney Fife is, has like, fascistic tendencies just because, like, they do the bum, bum, bum,
0: of... This is why I'm wondering, like, I still don't understand how we were supposed to take the Andy Griffith show, watching it in 1960. I don't understand how seriously we were supposed to take Mayberry. I wonder if maybe, like, the bastardization of nostalgia yeah. has twisted us into like thinking that Mayberry was supposed to be taken more seriously
1: than it was actually intended. I was having a, one, one of many Andy Griffith-centric conversations in my free time this week, and... One thing that came up when I was talking to someone that actually watched it as a kid was they watched it and everything, they just sort of felt like almost like bland and normal, like nothing really stood out to them. They just remember watching the Andy Griffith show. And I think with a lot of it, it was just stuff that they that they were aware of but didn't really realize was abnormal. And now we go back and watch it and we're like, oh, this was abnormal. Like the Barney but- having PTSD. If somebody told me that, yeah, you know, I was a kid in
0: 1960, and yeah, that was about right, I don't think I would believe them. I think the only reason, the only way that I would believe anybody's opinion on how you were supposed to take the Andy Griffith Show is if you were like a grown adult in 1960 watching that show, which would make you what, like 70 now? Yeah. Yeah, I think that if you had to be aware of the world around you, I, let's, let's let's get into this when I when. It comes up in conversation here. Yeah. So let's start with episode three, the guitar player. And I'm gonna just go ahead and read the Wikipedia description of this. Andy helps guitarist Jim Lindsay, played by guest star Jim Best, who has the hairiest arms I've ever seen in my life.
1: Those arms were rugs. They were. <laughs> you could like lose a comb in those. Things. That dude
0: was exercising the right to bear arms. Is what he had. They were like because they from because they yeah. had, had hair yeah. like a bear.
1: Yeah, yeah that's, and, that's
0: a joke, Dan. Right? Uh, did, they, they resemble those there.
1: Doing it in Don Knotts' voice makes it slightly <laughs> better.
0: Yeah, Andy helps guitarist Jim Lindsay, played by James Best, get a chance at stardom by arresting a band passing through town. That's the uh, Wikipedia description. Dan, do you want to give, like, a, a quick summary of the show, of the episode? The,
1: the episode opens with the guitar player, the titular guitar player, playing in front of a funeral home. The funeral uh, home owner objects to this very aggressively in, like, a a uh, 1950s, like, that dang rock and roll way. you off of my lawn. And makes Andy Griffith uh, lock up the rock and roll player. They're best buds in prison. They hang out, jam together.
0: Yeah, you get the feeling that this was not a real, like, arrest. It was just an excuse for them to, like, play music together.
1: One of many fake arrests throughout the show. Like, ceremonial arrests. Right.
0: There was no paperwork filled out
1: in Mayberry. Oh, no, never. He never documented... uh, on the books, he arrested, like, one person per year. They jam together, and he wants him to get his act together, make money off of what a great guitar player he is, because he thinks that he's a prodigious uh, musician.
0: I mean, he really is, because he manages to make one acoustic guitar sound like two electric guitars. Yeah. It makes him the greatest guitar player in the world. <laughs>
1: it's, it's almost his ability to play an electric guitar that is not plugged in is kind of impressive.
0: It, it rules is what it is. To
1: facilitate his transition to fame, Andy arrests a passing band on trumped-up charges, holds them into a jail cell, and forces them to listen to the guitar player's music so that they'll give him a job. Oh, you, you skipped
0: something. You skipped something. He arrests the band, but then Jim also refuses. Like, Jim doesn't want to come in and play for that. Yeah. He doesn't want to like be held to play, and Andy straight up duck season rabbit season like tricks him into playing for
1: it also as a as a side note, has him brought in at gunpoint by Barney. Yes, yeah. loaded gunpoint this time because I don't think he's I think he's stopped taking the bullets out of his gun after the manhunt. so he essentially uses his office to forcibly put two people in the room and the duck season rabbit seasons them into playing for each other. Everything ends up happy. The band and the guitar player ride off into the sunset. Andy Griffith commits uh, what, depending on your interpretation, was either a misdemeanor or a felony. Which is, is something I want to talk about off the bat, because this is sort of like the original sin of the show. Andy did some unethical stuff previously. This is the first time that Andy Griffith commits an actual, literal, legal crime. Not the not the not even close to the last time. Not the close to last time in the things we're talking about. He arrests the band on what? I, what I would essentially well, consider either trumped up charges or be a fake crime that he made up. Absolutely a
0: fake crime. Yeah. The reason he arrests the band is because their vehicle is so big it takes up. Not even two parking spaces. It takes up a, like... A parking spot and like, a it, half. It kind of sticks out at the end. Yeah. And therefore, he figures, well, this is, uh... Clearly, they're in violation of our laws. Uh, you're only allowed to park here for an hour, but that's an hour per car, and this has got to be at least two cars, right? So they can only park here for a half hour. So then they sit and wait outside of the diner for the exact minute. Yeah. So that they can sight them. And then when they are sighted, they come in and argue with, with, with the officers, and then uh, they book the band on bribery uh, uh, and like, resisting and contempt. And, so first,
1: you know. they charge an obscene amount of money for this made-up crime that they made up, which is... like It was essentially a parking ticket, but completely screwed with the math on how a parking ticket works. They charge them $50, which I'm assuming back in the 1950s was like $300 for just overdue parking. The band leader is understandably furious. Accuses him of pocketing the money, to which he uh, he finds him, I believe, another hundred dollars on the basis of denigrating his office. Which, again, pretty sure that's a made-up crime. Not a real thing. I, mean, I don't. I don't think you can. You can charge someone a, a shitload of money for mouthing off.
0: I mean, later on they arrest Jim on resisting
1: arrest. So. Yeah, no, which is a classic like trope of corrupt policing. And then after that, the band leader tries to schmooze his way out of this situation by offering to let Andy come to one of his shows for free, which Andy then ratchets up the uh charge to to bribery. Yeah, which I'll give him that, the band leader was totally trying to bribe him. Right. Loosely. Loose interpretation of bribe, but yeah, that yeah. was a, that was a bribe. And I—it's I lo- entrapment. Yeah, it's literally entrapment. All it, of it. It's entrapment and also falsifying a police report because mm-hmm. he's he arrests them, arrests and finds them on the basis that they had a parking ticket that they were refusing to pay, but they didn't actually break any parking laws. They made that up. It's a misdemeanor when it's on the local level, at least from the very little amount of research I did. But it could be a, a federal crime. He hasn't transitioned to federal level or, or major felonies yet, but I'm I'm assuming that by the end of season one, he will get there.
0: By the way, I want to point out James Best, best known as Sheriff Roscoe P. Coltrane on The Dukes of Hazzard.
1: That's what he was famous from? They do a shout-out to Elvis?
0: They do a shout-out to Elvis. I was going to mention that.
1: And I'm uh, a little embarrassed of this. I did a quick Google search to make sure that that wasn't Elvis. Because I was like, I don't think that's what Elvis <laughs> looks like, but also it could be what young, young Elvis looks well,
0: like. Well, he, he's not going to be Roscoe P. Coltrane for another 20 years. Right? Yeah. But yeah, they do make a quick reference to Elvis to remind you that it is in fact 1960. Yeah. I want to keep reminding people of this, no matter how weird this town feels, it is 1960s. Yeah. Uh, they call him like, that feller we saw on the TV sometimes, waving his hips and howling like his dog had died. Yeah, something like that. Like, which that also estab-
1: establishing that while it is 1960, they're in some like di- they're they're like basically on an island. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, they they sort of treat the South like it's. Like, like it's Gilligan's Island, right? Yeah.
0: Like, a, a complete the fact that Don Knott can be there.
1: Like, sort of. I was thinking, like, like it's Narnia. Like, the South is Narnia. Like, you, like, they're in a like a far off place. Like, we hear of this land called America. Like, <laughs> where you have an Elvis. <laughs> Things are simpler here in rural Illinois. Is North Carolina. I thought it was Indiana. No, they're
0: in North Carolina. Uh, I know this because number one, uh, Andy Griffith himself was born in Mount Airy, North Carolina. And like the whole town is has like a little like tourist section that's made up to look like Mayberry, which by the way we're definitely gonna go to.
1: That yes, we have
0: to do like a live episode. My dad lives like an hour from there, so
1: um. would we just like walk around with like mics on? I guess, like we'll figure it out. Just Statler and Waldorfing a walking tour. (laughs) Yes, yes, that's exactly what we'll do. End in an assault.
0: We may spend some time in the, in the uh, Mayberry Jail, and that'll rule. Like, yeah. But yeah, South North Carolina, and also Jim uh, Lindsay, like, tells Andy, Hey, Andy, I went to Winston-Salem, and I got this new guitar pick. Makes a difference, right? That's why I sound so good.
1: Right? Oh, yeah.
0: Because he has a new guitar pick.
1: I think they were trying to denote, like, how humble and, like, simple he is. I've hung out with a lot of musicians. I don't know any of them that have been, like unnecessarily, like, humble or unambitious. Like, it was, a, it was a weird thing where he was, like, really good but also determined to believe that he, he sucks, which artists often have low self-esteem. Had some
0: imposter syndrome, sure.
1: But he also has the really weird, aggressive thing of being as unfamous as possible, which, like, he likes to play in front of the drugstore but aggressively refuses to do absolutely anything that could, like, yeah
0: they they describe it as a fear of rejection right he's like yeah a prey, uh and he's also very stubborn in it and by the way now this is this is a moment that got me there's a point here that's played as played as a joke, so they're sitting in the jail cell, Andy and Jim this is the first time that he's arrested him, yeah, and they play their little song together, which is fun right mm-hmm. and uh after andy like Tells Jim to get his stuff together and do all the stuff, and Jim doesn't listen. Jim's being stubborn. Andy like walks out of the cell, mm-hmm. and then he leaves the cell open because, as we pointed out, like Just, this, this this is not a real arrest. No. It, but then he like gets irritated and he slams the cell door shut. Yeah. Because now, and Jim's got kind of a surprise that the door is is closed now because now. He's committed the crime of not listening to Andy Griffith. Yeah, not his, his fake arrest suddenly turned into a real arrest real fast.
1: Like when you depending on it how Andy's attitudes toward you, he is either your government-mandated dad or an actual sheriff. When he is mad, he does his job. When we see
0: the band roll into town, they come into this big old like the frickin' Studebaker that Fozzie drives in the Muppet movie.
1: And right? the, the band leader who we need to look up the name of that actor immediately because he oh, fucking I, rules. I've
0: got, I've got it here.
1: On an on a whole new level, like he practically kicks the door of the car open, busts out in like a checkered uh, big bopper jacket, and does a Rodney Dangerfield routine. Yeah, he's just. He has- Insult comicing the
0: entire town.
1: Why was he an insult comic? I'm not complaining because it was incredible. He just basically berated an entire town for <laughs> for a prolonged period of time. He heckled a waitress, like yeah, not he, not like, no, like not,
0: not like harassment, just like, hey, honey, uh, we'll all have the special if well, yeah, uh, one of us dies, we all die. Hey, hey yeah, 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 no, he basically got
1: a cigar like in his hand, like. Yeah, he does. It, it, it honestly, his his general delivery was so similar to Rodney Dangerfield that I was like, "Has Rodney Dangerfield was Rodney studied this? Yeah. yeah, was Rodney Dangerfield just ripping off? Like, like did we just all forget the shtick that he was ripping off? Was his was his stuff just super normal? Yeah, yeah. he practically did the uh, like the collar, uh, the collar." Oh. He was just no respect. No respect at all. All over
0: this town. Yeah. he uh, Andy comes in and, uh...
1: Like, hey, local law
0: enforcement. He flips up the badge and says, If found, please return to Wyatt Earp. Like, just flipping about the whole thing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> just utter disregard for... He... That musician kicked so much ass. <laughs> uh, alright.
0: Uh, his name... Actor's name is Henry Slate. He's got a huge list of credits. Uh, the character's name is Bobby Fleet, right? Bobby Fleet and his band with a beat, I think, was yeah. the name of the band, right? The,
1: and the band were just, like, the most... It was just the same guy in slightly different sizes. Like it <laughs> They were like, all
0: alternate universe Bobby Fleets.
1: <laughs> they looked like failed clones of each other. Like, <laughs> yeah. just, just like, five skinny turds all laughing and kind of, like, like be like, yeah, you tell him, Bobby. Yeah, right,
0: right. Fucking up, Bobby. Like they were his hype men. I I really hope
1: that every single thing that actor has been has been basically him as Bobby Fleet. Like he just rolls into the monsters and just starts like <laughs> immediately talking shit. Like no respect for any premise whatsoever. That hey, he's buddy, uh,
0: my car needs a jump. Can I hulk uh, up to your neck there?
1: Hey. <laughs> Uh, He rolls in, immediately rules, is followed by just, like, the most generic 1950 (laughs) to 60 jazz band ever. I'm assuming they were a jazz band? It was, like, like, like a big band kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. His band was, like, 15 guys. Right, right. Roll in, immediately sit down, does the, uh, we're all getting the special, if one of us goes, we all go. Yeah, hey. Great joke. Just like fucking cratered that restaurant like who ordered like takes the tray of waters from the waitress and says who ordered a clean glass again like not even like being shitty to wait staff heckling yeah. heckling a wait a, heckling a restaurant like yeah, it was a shitty or existing yeah yeah just tearing into the town like the um the one line was uh if It's a little, like, hackneyed at this point. I'm pretty sure this is probably how it was invented. If they threw a a beauty contest in this town, no one would win. Which, like, I'm assuming again, by 1960s standards was, like, like, people die from that (laughs)
0: insult. um, I'm there's not a live audience for The Andy Griffith Show, but I can still hear them going, Oh! yeah
1: <laughs> Just, like, people lo- like people at home just broke the television at the, the savagery of that line by 1960s standards. That was a body-bagging insult back
0: then. So, of course, uh, Barney's angry about this. This is where he says the line... You gotta
1: like. You gotta. You gotta watch me, sheriff. I'm dangerous. I get my. I, he says I get wound up. I'll punch a man in the teeth.
0: Yeah, like, yeah. He he wants to start breaking some heads
1: and he, for 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 what? For insults? Yeah. No. He's furious. Like he's furious at being insulted. At one point, another charting of why Bar- 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 Barney Fife should not be a cop. He uh, he casually asks Andy, like when they're when they've arrested the big band on trumped up charges. Barney Fife offers to work him over.
0: Yeah, he's like he's like grabbing his nightstick and uh, yeah,
1: tugging at yeah. his nightstick.
0: Yeah, he's like he wants an excuse. He's sitting there, let me at him, let me at him.
1: Yeah, he he, but he off the cuff asks Andy if he wants to wants him to rough the band up, right. and Andy casually goes like, no, no, like he's not like no, Barney, we're not gonna do that. He's like.
0: I want you to go arrest another guy yeah. for no reason.
1: There's no time. Go commit another felony. <laughs> when, oh, if, if only we—if only there were enough hours in the day, Barney. I'd let you rough up each and every one of them. But unfortunately, you go—you have to go arrest a man for resisting arrest. Barney says, "Like
0: arrest him for what?" And Andy goes, "I don't know. Make something up, or just haul him in for questioning." Barney leaves,
1: comes back, and says. Questioning for what? Yeah Which like how was no member of that band like I'll take my lawyer now Like right. let's let's
0: point out that the band can hear everything that they say. Yeah They are twenty feet away. The band I, like, I also want to point out, this is how bad everyone sucks at this. The keys were still on the wall. Yeah. Right? Just like with Otis, the band could have just grabbed the keys at any
1: moment. Yes. Maybe maybe expectations around the legal system were different. I don't understand how every single member of that band didn't walk out and be like, well, I own this town now. I look very, I look forward very much to this extremely lucrative lawsuit for these crimes that you openly committed in front of me and my many, many corroborating witnesses. (laughs) For which you will have absolutely no defense whatsoever. Bobby but was it Bobby, Bobby... Bobby Fleet. Bobby Fleet should have said to the guitarist, like, hey, screw joining my band. How would you like to annihilate this entire town and just, like, By band- buy mansions?
0: <laughs> By band, we mean class action lawsuits. Yes! Right?
1: Like, he, like, openly, at, openly commits crime, like, explains a crime to Barney in front of him, which he also has to do. Because Barney, throughout the entire thing, has maybe a 30% understanding of what the plan is. Right. Like, he does not understand that they're arresting these people wrongfully for good Samaritan causes. He's just like, all right, these smart Alex are finally getting theirs. Finally, Sheriff Griffith is looking at this Fife's way. Right, right,
0: right. right. He's finally on board.
1: Except except for
0: what disproves that is uh, when they drag Jim in. And Jim's up. Jim's onto them immediately. Yeah. Jim just goes, "You drag me in here so that you can make me play in front of these people." And uh, Barney does that little bit like, "I'm shocked. I'm angry that you think that a good man like Sheriff Taylor would ever like. He's he's almost Jimmy Stewarting it. Like would wh- ever ever misuse the office of his law? Or, you are
1: dangling like, on the edge of Jimmy Stewart. I,
0: and then he kind of like shuffles back to like, "So what are you what are you going to play? What number <laughs> are you going to play?" So like. Barney's, Barney's aware he's just an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And we should also mention, like, just for the fact that Ronnie Howard, I guess, has a six-year-old's contract and needs to be in every episode, he shows up, kicks a guy, and <sighs> leaves, basically.
1: Let me, let me amend that. He shows up, gets within... Strangling range of a criminal in a jail cell just gets right up to this very large man who he has no idea what he's in jail for. Like, says,
0: "Are you a criminal?"
1: Yeah, just gets like gets his neck right up there and, yeah. at hand level. Is like, "Are you a criminal?" And regardless of your answer, fuck you. <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> like he he immediately starts like gets right up in 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 Bobby Fleet's face and asks if he's a criminal says he doesn't care, and then starts talking shit, and then kicks him in the shin. <laughs> and runs away. What well, great job on establishing, like, self-preservation instincts in your child, Andy. Like, like, great job. You've taught him, like, like, sub mammal levels of ability to survive. He goes up to a criminal that he decides is dangerous. Right. Yeah. What, what, how? I, I I don't have a follow up question. Just how was any of that o- allowed? Follow a thesis on uh, on Opie maybe being a sociopath. Andy is a terrible parent who is actively oh. making Opie a Awful sociopath. Father. Awful father. The worst instills at every possible opportunity the worst lesson in his child.
0: Uh, all right. So they drag Jim in, uh, and the way that they get because Jim's refusing to play, and the band's refusing to hear. Uh, so the way that Andy gets him to play. He's like, well, I guess I'll just take this guitar. And he, like, detunes the thing. And he makes it sound shitty. And he says, hey, Jim, could you tune this guitar for me so I can play it? And Jim falls for it. And he's playing it. And it sounds like crap. Because Andy knows that Bobby Fleet cannot resist heckling this dude. Yeah. And the guitar sounds bad. And Bobby Fleet's just like, oh, uh, yeah, I hearing angels? Yeah, uh, is yeah. it
1: a guitar? Or a harp from heaven?
0: Yeah. He's just, like, just poking that bear. And we get these great, like, they're really good. Sh- they're, like, Fritz Long-style, like, extreme close-ups of Jim's face. as so he gets angrier and yeah. angrier. And then he, like, puts out this rockabilly riff that's just like a like a gunshot. Like, BAM!
1: BAM! BAM! Just silences the room. It's such a good scene.
0: And then... And for some reason, like they arrested them with all their instruments. So like, yeah. So like the the drummer just starts like clicking and clacking on the bar doors, and uh, all of a sudden a trumpet shows up.
1: When I was arrested, I, they took away my shoelaces. <laughs> they took the
0: shoelaces. Yeah,
1: so I couldn't hang myself. And they gave they let one of them keep a bludgeoning weapon. Yeah.
0: Like. Yeah. No, they've got all their stuff, and they have this cool little moment right where the band starts playing. Along uh, inside the jail cell, they have a fun little thing. Barney does a pretty funny little dance.
1: Oh God, yeah, no that that, 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 that scene dance ruled. that dance that Don Knotts did was like the visual equivalent of someone coming up behind you in a urinal and giving you a neck massage. Like that was so <laughs> unpleasant to see. <laughs> just it, like ah, mm. uh, just seeing Don Knotts gyrating deeply unpleasant.
0: It was it was like somebody electrocuting a rooster. Yeah. Like it was it was noodally. It like, was like like rectally electrocution.
1: Yes. Oh yeah. god, yeah. But what one thing I want like that entire scene did Bobby Fleet's band not have a guitarist already? Yeah, what what How how was there not one person there, either a sweating bullets or just like in the background being like it's not that good. Yeah. It seems okay. Really like those three chords, huh? <laughs> uh, it, it seems like he's off tempo. Like, what, how is? I no, heard better. They were like every shot they did of the band. They were like, yeah, this is gonna be great for us. There should have just been one guy going like, oh, I'm gonna get fucking fired. They're gonna leave me here in this cell. It's. It's, it's one thing to get fired from a band. It's another thing to watch it in slow motion. Like, just there, there should have, but he was like, hey, it's pretty good. I dig him. Someone would be like, can I like just have a quick, like one-on-one? Just, uh, just hear me out. Okay. Like, Bobby, I, you're the godfather to my children. Don't do this. <laughs> You've known this man for two seconds. I've been with this band from the beginning I came up with the name for the band. Don't do this to me. Do it, Bobby. Don't I'm doing it, Bobby. I'm the very <laughs> hot. Like what did was were they getting an understudy? Like, like Bobby Fleet even has a
0: line where that is flatly read the line is. I could always use a good guitarist, but the way he enunciates it, it's like he's making a dig at somebody. He's like, I could always use a good guitarist, Ew. and I expected there to be a smash cut to like some
1: weakling just going, "Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. just why?" I really want to just create like a, a, my own <laughs> fan edit version of this episode and change literally nothing of nothing of the entire episode, but just have one person in the background of that line be like, "I always need a good guitarist." <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, oh no it uh, <laughs> just, like, just someone go, like, solid burn, Bobby, solid burn. You've so, sent me out on one last good razzing. Hey, you got me. Yeah. hey, All
0: right, so they leave. They, they let everybody go. Uh, oh, and there's, like, a little bit where Andy, like, works as an agent, basically. Uh, yeah. It makes Jim think it's his idea to take this job with the band. And then and he then,
1: negotiates his salary. Right. Then Andy says
0: something that I don't think he understands how gay it sounds. But he's just like, now, uh, that Mr. Jim, word of advice, that Mr. Fleet, he digs you. So you, uh,
1: you dig him back, right? So I need to talk to a person who was alive in the 1960s. Because the question I have is, was that a 1960s era gay joke? Or did they not realize how gay that was? And the joke was like, "Oh, Andy doesn't understand how the word dig works." Probably because yeah. it was either like a joke about how out of how unhip Andy was, or it was like the nineteen sixties, like Andy accidentally like Michael Scotted and said something, yeah. or no, I guess more Tobias Fugade.
0: All right, so they they send they set, let the band free. Everyone free to go. Jim joins them. He gets his stuff together. Final joke is as uh, they're sending them off. Barney says, like, well, We've got lots of great talent here. Maybe we've got a great harmonica player and he pulls out his harmonica and he plays it and they drive away and Andy makes a call back to that line and says, Barney, I don't think they, that he digs you.
1: I don't think he dead." How do you see he like somehow put a southern drawl on you dag you don't think don't think you. I
0: don't think he dags you.
1: Andy Andy <laughs> Griffith's southern accent is an enigma. It is like a black hole into which logic escapes. It's the weirdest southern accent I've ever heard in my entire life. Isn't
0: it just his normal voice? Because
1: he's from that area. He's from North Carolina. It's like he has three different southern accents that overlap. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. He has a North Carolina, an Indiana, and like a Virginia accent that have like been Combined into a black hole. Uh, not you know what I
0: mean. This is the second time you said it. I really want you to show me on a map where you think Indiana is. Do we want to do the Andy Meter and Fife Meter now, or do we want to do it at the end of the show?
1: Uh, let's do let's do it at the end of the show.
0: Okay, all right. So let's move on to the next episode, uh, which is called Ellie Comes to Town.
1: And actually, before we describe the episode, I have like a sort. I think a sort of a, a crucial question. That I, I I think is to the the introduction of Ellie, I think pretty important. Is Andy Griffith attractive? Is Andy Griffith a good-looking man? Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I is guess Andy by me, Mayba-
0: he's like, He's like a Mayberry ten, right? Uh, because well, Eleanor's hot as, or Ele- yeah, yeah <laughs> Ellie's hot as shit. Ellie is. Like is crazy and, is a beautiful woman. Ellie yes. is like
1: Raquel Welch, like gorgeous, like nineteen sixties woman. Like I, not by not by like Southern standards is Andy Griffith for like TV. Is he a good looking man? Don't dodge the question. Are we
0: wait? Are we doing that that Amy Schumer episode? Are we gonna do like nine angry men inside angry Gr- Andy Griffith?
1: I have not. Watched that episode not, of the Amy Schumer show. Okay,
0: there's there's an episode of the Amy Schumer show that is completely... The entire half hour is a parody of 12 Angry Men. Yeah. And the debate they're trying to have is, is Amy Schumer hot enough to be on television? Look, let's just take it aside here. Watch this episode. I wasn't even like really in love with, the, with Inside Amy Schumer, but this episode is so good. Uh, Jeff Goldblum's in it, Paul Giamatti, uh, Dennis Quaid... Uh, Kamal, Kim, Kamal and Johnny The whole, like, half-hour-long Twelve Angry Men parody is so good. Watch that episode.
1: Amy Schumer's show is the, my favorite show to watch via 10-minute YouTube clip.
0: Yeah, and, oh, absolutely.
1: Um, but, yeah, no, so we are absolutely doing that because this has boggled my mind. I can't figure out... Okay, well, first off, out... let's, let's
0: figure that he's tall. Mm-hmm. That helps. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe if you got, like, a daddy
1: thing going on, like... Maybe. Even then, he d- he's not particularly dad is he? Like, in terms of, like, physical appearance? I have
0: no idea. Look, let's, let's, we're gonna leave this one up to our listeners. Uh-huh. Our listeners have to tell us, is Andy Griffith hot? His,
1: his ears are, like, actual traffic hazards. Oh,
0: absolutely. Like, like
1: it's, because the whole thing is, like, this, this episode is the introduction of sexual tension into Mayberry, and it is predicated, like, Andy gets a love interest who, and, and just Entire, One of
0: several on the in the show's run apparently?
1: Which I could I didn't know could be a thing in this quaint 1950s setting. I assumed that when Andy Griffith's like love interest shows up, he's married. Sure, like, right. But, so does
0: Andy, but that's a future episode.
1: Like okay, so plot of the episode.
0: Right. All right. Let's go ahead and do. Uh, all right. I'll read the Wikipedia summary again. Uh, pharmacist Ellie Walker, Eleanor Donahue, who you mentioned before we got on the show. Eleanor Donahue got into the credits, like, mm. they... Immediately. Immediately. Well, the reason for that is they basically borrowed her from another show. She was on Father Knows Best, where she was, like, an Emmy-nominated actress. Uh-huh. So she was already very popular. She was basically doing the Andy Griffith show a favor.
1: Did they, like, poach her?
0: Uh, I think... I'll check the timeline, but I think Father Knows Best had already ended by then. Yeah. Form. Ellie Walker, played by Eleanor Donahue, comes to Mayberry to help her ailing uncle run his drugstore. But she has to adjust to the town's unusual ways, including Emma the Hypochondriac. Now, I want to just point out, uh, Emma Brand the the Hypochondriac was played by an actress named Cheerio Meredith.
1: Hell yes. What?
0: That's the best name we've had so far. I have
1: 3,000 questions was was that a normal name back then was did did the cereal cheerio become was that the name because that was like a common name and they were like we'll make that was it like like this is my this
0: my son howdy and my daughter hi this one opens up um with andy and aunt b making a run to the local pharmacy Mm -hmm. right and they get there. It's a little bit after nine a.m. They set this up. They know what time it is, and the pharmacy is still locked. It's still closed. Mm-hmm. So Andy goes ahead and says, "Well, I guess they figure we won't. They won't mind if we help ourselves." So he like lifts, reaches up, and he takes the key from where he knows where it's hidden, and he opens the door. And he just starts like uh, he, he just starts shopping with Andy and, do, and doing a fun little shtick where he pretends to be a uh, concierge or. Uh,
1: and and stopper. he, like, he, he finds the key and breaks in, and it's just sort of weird, like, it, it's a weird portal into another time that, like, you could just put a key above a door frame, like, and, and like, and... And there'd be no problem with it, yeah, yeah. No criminal would think to be like, let me check around the door for where right. the key would be. Right, like, why do you even
0: have law enforcement for a town this stupid?
1: Yeah, right. no, where crime is this much of a thing of, like, faint imagination. Right. Like, no no drifter is going to come in and look for your key for all of 30 seconds.
0: So, they go in they're doing the shopping. They're, they're getting what uh, B needs. And a stranger comes into town. It yeah. is the, the pharmacist's niece. Uh, Ellie Walker walks into her uncle's store, sees two people that she doesn't recognize, and does the logical thing, which is immediately go and get the police. Which, in this logical. case, the only police is Barney Fife. Illogical.
1: And so Barney like rushes in. He's all ready to be Barney Fife. No, no, no. He does not rush in. Barney Fife gets stuck in his car door. That's right. Yeah, yeah, right. no. <laughs> Barney Fife gets stuck in his car door, does a prolonged bit of trying to squeeze his way out because he parked next to a mailbox, and as she's pleading, terrified, don't, can't you just get out of the passenger door? And he screams, there's no time!
0: we <laughs> like, got, Gotta got go all the right way around the horn by this point. But... Yeah. yeah. But
1: I'm too far into it. So Barney, Barney, Barney
0: enters. Rushes uh, in,
1: gun out.
0: Yeah. Because he thinks he's going to stop a robbery. And they realize, like, he nearly shoots a b He openly
1: is like, I was ready to blow these people away. Like, I was going to unload. And then he gets mad at her. He gets mad
0: at Ellie for, like, well, why didn't didn't you just know that was a sheriff? What? How? Why did you bother me with this? Yeah. It was just a sheriff Taylor. Once everyone uh, breaks it down they start introducing themselves and she goes, "Oh, you're" and Andy's like, "Oh, you're uh you're our pharmacist niece." Oh, that's I heard that we were getting a lady druggist. Drink every time you hear lady druggist or lady pharmacist or or pretty girl doctor or whatever you call yourself. Don't do that. People will die. Yeah. Like there's a moment where Barney's like, "Well, wow, pleased to meet you, doctor or whatever you call yourself." And Andy like steps in just like, "Well, let's just call her lady druggist." There's a moment where I think he's just going to say, let's just call her a pharmacist, like what she is, but nope, lady pharmacist, and there, we just roll with it.
1: There is a line where a TV show's casual, old-timey sexism becomes intolerable, and this episode gets right up to that line and, and like, dangles over it, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. waving its arms to keep balance. Like, it... like, the... Razors, the, the distance between the this episode of the Andy Griffith show and intolerable sexism is microscopic. It is just barely okay. Like, Andy Griffith manages to stop talking just in time before he goes like, Also, you shouldn't be allowed to vote. Alright, bye. Like,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man.
1: Alright, so then we're introduced... Which is also foreshadowing because there is a whether or not women should be allowed to vote episode.
0: So the next thing that happens is we meet uh, Emma, the little old lady, the town hypochondriac. And I got to say something. I hated this old lady. I hated her so much.
1: I uh, uh, guarantee she's going to be a reoccurring Oh, character.
0: we're going to deal with her for at least six more episodes, I think.
1: Annie, don't you want to know, did I have a pain last night? Oh, course I do. Did you have a pain last night? did i have a pain started right here in the side and shot down my leg raced up the other side around my back and then went clean on up my neck Oh! i'll say one thing for you emma when you have a pain it really goes places They, the cadence of her voice was intolerable. It was just nails on a chalkboard for my me. My pail? No, I can't even do it. I can't even. What's that? Try to do the.
0: No. I, I, I think to really do it, you gotta, like, hit yourself in the throat a couple of times. Uh,
1: Andy, <laughs> I need my peels. It's. Piao. No, I can't even. It, it's a sound that human throats can't recreate. It's it, like something the elder gods created. It is a sound of pure sounds, hatred. It sounds like
0: cats having sex in a cave, and it's, you just get the reverberations.
1: It's the the, the spelling of it is p i i a u a i again l l. L-S. Like, that is how she says pills.
0: Also alternating lowercase and uppercase L. Oh,
1: yeah, 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 no, no. The frequency of it is all over the map, and luckily she says it conservatively 300 times.
0: So she comes in... (laughs) Varying varying volumes. Demanding her
1: pills! Pills! Oh, no! Still, this is... I can't say it. I really... It's... The sound is in my head and I want to do it, but I can't, human she, vocal cords can't recreate
0: this. So she, she comes in demanding her pills, uh, and the pharmacist has the natural response of, what pills? Like, where's your prescription? Do you, I don't see one on file. I can't give you these pills without a prescription. Uh, and she gets, so she just throws a temper tantrum. I should also point out that, uh, by this point, Andy has left. But mm-hmm. before this old lady let Andy leave, she, like, to get attention, like, Andy, like, scolds him for not asking about her pain.
1: Yeah, no, so this is also, sets up a, a very interesting thing, because she establishes that the pills she's here for are pain pills. Right. They are pain medication. Right. what, a Schedule 1 drug, right? Sure.
0: Well, I mean, Schedule 1 didn't exist at this point, right? The equivalent of a Schedule Yeah, it didn't exist until uh, Nixon. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. Uh, So she comes in and says, like, I need these pills for these pains I had last night. Uh, She scolds Andy. Andy asks about the pain. Uh, She gives him the rundown. And he goes, okay, well, bye, because there's nothing I can do for you. Bye. Yeah. And he refuses, or so she asks Ellie for the pills says, "Here's my dime. She's gonna she's gonna charge it, pay for a dime." Yeah. She points out, "There's those blue ones right there." And Ellie says, "I don't have a prescription. Uh, I'll give them to you when you can have one." And this woman throws a full-on, "Talk to your manager. Never shopping here again!" Like temper tantrum in the middle of the store,
1: trying to leverage uh, her annual purchase of cotton balls. Right, for... right, right.
0: And for anyone who's ever worked retail, like I'm, just like that. That is familiar.
1: That, like, that was a... That's a real interaction that everyone who has ever worked like any form of customer service has had. Yeah, like, yeah. An old person just being like... I'm never
0: shopping here again! And yeah. was like, this is the only store in this town. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're, it's it's North Carolina in the 1960s. You're not going to order stuff off Amazon. Which, right?
1: honestly, kudos to this show for creating such like an evocatively horrible old person. <laughs> oh, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. They, this... Uh, this character is like like it, it 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 touched parts of my memory and like real and shook him i was like like i remembered working customer service jobs and being like oh right holy shit like it's it, she's like a, a great character in that in in how horrible she is so
0: the episode goes along um and this woman is this new woman ellie is just kind of getting used to uh how weird Mayberry is she offers Opie a free ice cream and she's just, she's, being, she's just trying to integrate herself in the community but everyone is treating her like shit for not doing for for, for doing her job and not giving pills to a person she doesn't know well, in fact Barney and Andy even get so mad at about this they start trying to look for some regulations of their own they start studying law books because at this point Barney is like studying law and we learned that he doesn't know, like... Anything. Yeah, he, does, he doesn't know the... He literally does not know the first thing about sheriffing. Because he asked, like, they do a quiz on what's rule number one of sheriffing. Yeah. And, uh, you know... He
1: cannot remember the first syllable it's, of it's, sheriffing.
0: It's like that bit... It's a great he, bit. It's, and it reminded me of that bit in 21 Jump Street, where Channing Tatum doesn't know the Miranda rights.
1: Yeah.
0: Did, did you just say you have the right to be an attorney? Yeah. <laughs> You do have the right to be an attorney if you want.
1: It was... He... he, Like... He... I think this was probably the origin of the, like, what's the next word bit. Because he does, like, sort of, like, go
0: through that. So they're looking through Barney's, like, law books to try to find something that they can use to to counteract this and force her to give uh, Emma these pills.
1: There is a central, like, moral debate that is basically... Uh, completely, like, completely unresolved by the end of it. And the debate is: Should Ellie just give what's the old woman's name? Emma. Emma. Should Ellie just give Emma her pills? Is it okay to violate the law for the greater good? Uh, or should she stick to regulations and demand a prescription, even though it may
0: may kill uh, this hy- hypothetically kill this old as, woman? As far as as far as anyone knows,
1: it could kill this woman. Yeah. Right. So there, you have these two baskets, and it does, and it. Basically, Andy is in the camp of just give her the pills, she could die. Ellie is in the camp of she needs a prescription, please, she just needs a prescription. I'm a pharmacist, I take my job seriously, just make her get a prescription
0: yeah and and everyone treats Ellie like a a complete outcast for this, yeah, and actually like the the show basically ends with Andy and Ellie having that debate like in the middle of the street, yeah huh. so. They they try to they try to go through the books to find something. They don't find anything. Uh, Don Knotts gets to shtick as he reads through the law books about like a case, uh, the, the arsenic case, right, where somebody like sued for the right to buy arsenic from somebody that didn't want to sell them, and then that dude winds up dying. Yeah, yeah. funny, funny solid joke. suicide oh, joke. Yeah, good joke. Good joke. Um,
1: so, roll on snare
0: drum. Yeah, but Doctor I Am Pagalachi. Like,
1: they they never resolve it because it's at the end after this long debate over whether or not Ellie should just give oh, and Emma her she, pills.
0: She's straight up wily ing trying to like sneak her way in.
1: Like the boom,
0: boom, boom, boom.
1: boom, boom. As you yeah. see her little feather hat go behind the counter, she tries to steal pills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She that's it. She's stealing pills. She's she, breaking into a attempts pharmacy. Attempts th- attempts theft in front of a sheriff, and Andy Griffith doesn't give any semblance of a fuck. Right, except because she wasn't
0: according to Andy, with his, again, real loose definition of the law, was not stealing. She clearly intended to pay for them, because she yeah. had the dime in her hand. Yeah. What this all comes up to, and also, like, there's still some, like, flirtation and, uh, like, sexual tension between Andy and, and Ellie. Yeah. Now, which we're gonna get into in later episodes. Uh, and the, the closer of all this is finally, uh, Emma like, is fallen so very ill. She's on her bed or fainting couch and she can't get up and everyone thinks these are her final days and they're bringing, bringing her like pies and casseroles and stuff. We mm-hmm. find this out because Aunt B, uh whose only purpose on the show is to cook things yeah. uh, and gossip, comes in, tells Annie this, uh, and they go to her house and they give her the like casserole or whatever it is that uh, yeah. she made. And that's when Ellie shows up. Ellie shows up and she gives she you, gives Emma the pills. Like here You also are.
1: forgot Emma's name. Yeah, it's a hard like.
0: It, it, it's Ellie and Emma. That's the yeah. problem. So Ellie shows up. Give Emma the pills. Says, "Here you go. No prescription needed. I'll take the dime. Here, take one now." Ellie and, and and Andy go outside, and this is the part that confuses me because Andy says something like, "Well, what made you change your mind? Like, why did you give her those pills?" Uh, and she goes, "Those pills won't cure anything." They're sugar pills. They're placebos. Because that's why my uncle was selling them to her for a dime. He just knows that she just wants them so that she can think it's all in her head. Yeah. So here's my question. When did Ellie figure that out? And how long passed where she was still expecting a prescription for that? Like, the first scene, right? Emma points and says, those blue pills in that jar over there. Any pharmacist should have looked at that and been like, that's, that's candy. Yeah. Yeah. Why was she holding out so long? Was she expecting Emma to, like, bring in a prescription for the M&Ms that were behind the counter?
1: What What was going See, on there? See, I thought, like, my my initial view, like, like viewing of it, I thought that as soon as she figured out what the pills were, she, like, immediately grabbed them and came over and gave her to her. That,
0: that's my question. When did she figure it out? Yeah.
1: No, because, but then she said some stuff and, like, and and Annie was like, if you knew they were placebos, why didn't you give it to her? And she was like, well, I'm a pharmacist, ain't I? In which case, Ellie
0: is a terrible pharmacist.
1: Yeah, Ellie is a very mean person <laughs> who let an old lady like almost, well, honestly, if I was subjected to Emma for more than 20 minutes, I would also let her think that she was about to die. Oh, yeah, no,
0: I would, I would torture that old lady for at yeah. least a day and a half. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, I would, like, basically, I would do what what Ellie does, which is some Guantanamo shit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Some serious, like, Cold War era psychological warfare of convincing an old woman that she's about to die.
0: Like, fuck it. If everyone else is going to call me Lady Doctor all the time, Lady Druggist every single moment of every day, I'm going to fuck
1: with these people. There is a quiet fury to Ellie. <laughs> she is a cauldron of Barely contained rage. Let's go ahead and, and clarify that Ellie is the
0: best character on the show, right?
1: Ellie like, rules. Yeah. Ellie Ellie is, like, two characters have ruled in this. Bobby Fleet and Ellie. <laughs> yeah. Right. Both of the out-of-towners. Yeah. No, because they, they, there is a, a reoccurring thing of out-of-towners rolling into Mayberry and be like, what the shit are you idiots doing?
0: Okay. So, I wanted to talk about this. Right. So, all four episodes that we've seen so far. Are somebody from, somebody not from Mayberry comes to Mayberry. Yeah. They've all, with different, like, interpretations, right? I remember when I was in college, I read this book about screenwriting. I don't remember what the book's called. But it discussed. Uh, was it
1: Save the Cat?
0: It was not Save the Cat.
1: Was it Your Screenplay Sucks?
0: No, it was neither of those. Those
1: were all the screenplay books I know. Alright, well, we're
0: good. Uh, no, but it discussed, um, it discussed hospital shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, it used mash and er as an example and i'll add scrubs to the list. uh and said basically the reason why hospital shows work so well is that your characters don't need to go anywhere for the plot mm-hmm. the plot comes to them in the form of a patient a patient comes in will affect our doctors in some way and then the patient goes out the patient's guaranteed to go out some way they're either going to die or they're going to be discharged mm-hmm. and the reason why hospitals work for these settings is Even if the hospital is in the middle of the Korean War, the audience basically understands a hospital. I don't need an audience surrogate to take me through a hospital. I understand how hospitals work just in general. That's why you have a show called General Hospital. So compare that to something like Star Trek, where they say in the opening credits, basically, that the show is, we go to a place, that place is weird, we have to learn what's up with that place. And every episode involves somebody explaining to Kirk what the rules are of this planet. Mm-hmm. So, there is no audience surrogate in Mayberry, right? Aunt B could have been the audience surrogate in the first episode. That's normally what they set up. Like, like woman shows up in a strange town, and she's got to learn how stuff goes.
1: But, every time Aunt Bee has lines, I am surprised to hear her talk.
0: Right, absolutely. Absolutely. She
1: is basically a prop.
0: So, my question is, are we treating Mayberry... Like, the audience is supposed to be just familiar with that type of place, just like a hospital. Or are they overestimating how familiar I'm supposed to be in 1960 with a place like Mayberry? In 1960, am I supposed to think it's weird that I can lift up or that no one's checking for that key? I can't imagine, even in rural North Carolina in 1960, that any adult would think it was totally cool that the sheriff just busts in. And I'm, and I'm from I'm from rural town. Yeah, I mean, I'm from a very small rural area.
1: I think if you're from rural America, you're supposed to watch it being saying, "That's how we are," and if you're from a city, you're supposed to watch it going, "That's how they are." They are. Yeah. No.
0: And, and again, like I'm trying to put ourselves in 1960s sensibility. Yeah. I'm trying very hard on this show not to do the thing where we look at, like, a 60s show through 2018 sensibilities, but, like, that's also what our show basically is.
1: Wait, yeah, no, the, are you trying to not do that? Because I'm doing that aggressively. Okay,
0: that's good. Well, well It's a good balance. No, but that's what our show is, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, no. so... Yeah, I'm viewing even... this throw through the show through the lens of an imminent apocalypse. That's, right. yeah.
0: So, all right, So even in terms of the 1960s, what the hell? Like, so we don't need anyone to introduce us to Mayberry. Mayberry is the standard. Mayberry is the hospital. That we're supposed to have a basic understanding of, and everyone who else who comes in has to adjust to the pl- to that setting.
1: Well, it's Norman Rockwell, like it's it's that like I think it's it's sort of a well, cons- It's an
0: insult to Rockwell, but okay, yeah.
1: What? Norman Norman Rockwell does like created the sort of painted the idealized perfect. right, right, right.
0: But but Rockwell was very very aware of like all of the darkness underneath that that shit.
1: Oh yeah. You know?
0: But, but, okay, it's, 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 the, it's the perception of America.: Yeah, no,
1: no, no. It is sort of like, it's real-world characters wandering into a perceived version of America. It's Gilligan's
0: Island. It's more like Gilligan's Island than anything else. And that Nobody from the island gets off the island, but other people come through and go, what is up with your island?
1: Th- that, that comparison sort of makes me think, have you heard the theory of Gilligan's Island? That they're they're trapped in hell and uh, uh, Gilligan is the devil keeping them there. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So it like that comparison. There is sort of an otherworldly aspect to Mayberry, especially as the episodes keep going and the world of it keeps expanding. It, yeah, we May- learn more about the building of Mayberry. Mayberry yeah. is an extremely large,
0: complex place. It, it's it's kind of like Springfield or Pawnee, Indiana, where it just like whatever Mayberry like. Whatever the script needs Mayberry to have, Mayberry will have.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. sort of like after a certain point, Mayberry is like a microcosm of America, like sure. an idealized microcosm of America. And whenever an out-of-towner comes in, they're basically people from the real world wandering into this. And, and, and any time conceptual we, America,
0: anytime we say American, this, there has to be like an asterisk, like white America. Yeah. Oh no no no! One hundred percent.
1: I'm pretty. Con- I, there's. Uh, I don't
0: know if we'll ever see a black person in the entire eight season. A run person of, this show.
1: of color has. They're going to start running out of material eventually. Yeah. Right. I've just finished the first season. They've run out. They've run through like six seasons of just concepts. After a certain point, they like they're going to have to address the vague concept of race. Right.
0: Right. But complete mm-hmm. tangent. Do you have anything uh, left to say about this particular episode?
1: About this particular episode, uh, it's the nicest Opie ever is. Yeah, because he's getting
0: stuff. He's getting free stuff.
1: Yeah, no, there's there's a delightful bit between Ellie and Opie about using the word "a" to getting a free ice cream cone. Yeah, she's being very
0: maternal, like it very set, it sets up like oh she could be a mother figure for Opie. Because that's very important for getting together to, with Andy, sure. Sure, alright, so let's, let's go ahead and do the episode ratings. Alright, so first up, the guitar player. Alright, so starting with our XY axis, our Andy meter, which is, how good is this episode? What's the quality of this episode? The guitar player? I'd say... Eight, nine Andys?
1: Nine Andys. I'm, go, I'm gonna this be episode's charitable. episode's really good. It's a really tight episode, and it's kind of cool in that, like, it does a, a standard, like... All, like, like really simple premise of, like, how do we get A to B? How do we make the guitarist in a band and happy? And, like, it's sort of... You can do incredible things with a, with a standard sitcom premise when your main character is a wildly unethical cop. When, when your main character is a police officer with a very vague, shitty understanding of ethics. Uh, so yeah, no, like the it's it's a really tight, like structural episode.
0: It's fun. Um, I keep want to say Bobby Flay,
1: Uh, Bo- Bobby yeah, no, Fleet. No, it's definitely Bobby Flay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Bobby Fleet rules. Bobby Fleet is a god among men.
0: And <laughs> yeah, I'm just still gonna say I'm gonna say eight and just again because we don't have that big of a sample size. So maybe, like, retroactively I'll regret this. But I'm going to say 8-8. Eight, eight. It's, it's so funny. I think the guitar I'm
1: player the, is currently the one to beat.
0: It's it's the best episode. Yeah, Yeah, yeah.
1: Fifes for moral reprehensibility. Yeah,
0: so yeah. Our five, five meter, which is, like, how terrifying is this episode? Uh... Ah, seven? No, yeah. Seven or eight fifes? Because, like, this is one of the first times that Andy's just, like, flagrantly... Most of the time, Barney's the one who wants to
1: flagrantly disregard the law, but this is the first time we see Andy just get full-on into it, it. It very much establishes a freaky core premise of the show where it's not... Barney Fife represents fascism. He represents American fascism of this sort of, like, very, like, Mm -hmm. almost, like, like insecure form of fascism. And at first you think, okay, Andy Griffith represents just not fascism. Goodness. Andy Griffith... This episode establishes that Andy Griffith represents corruption. So it's basically fascism v. corruption manifesting in the Mayberry police force, when I watched it, I was like, well, this is a 10 on fifes. This is absolutely toe-curling horrifying.
0: Nope, it gets worse.
1: It gets so much worse, it's barely, like, it's barely top 10 in yeah. season 1. So I'm gonna
0: say, like, what? Six or seven fifes? Six fifes. Let's say six fifes. Remember, we Remember, we made Manhunt 5 fives. Because every like good thing had a bad thing happening. Okay? This so,
1: scale is going to be yeah. so
0: hard it's to keep be, track of. Like, yeah. So, yeah. I'm going to say six or seven fives. I'll, I'll say seven fives. And
1: yeah. we're going to need to keep a spreadsheet and like at the end of it have a retraction section where sure. we're like we previously said that Manhunt was five fives. In light of the episode where Andy Griffith <laughs> sets a child on fire we're going to go ahead and downgrade that to a two or we're just going to have to like break the scale and be like all right well we we gave the child episode the child fire episode a 10 so i guess the episode where he shoots the president is probably going to have to be like a 12 we're going to
0: have to we have to put a bell curve in this thing it's like, so
1: hard to scale because at this point I have absolutely no reservations on what Andy Griffith and Barney Fife are capable of, of as human beings. In in, ter- in terms of achieving some greater utilitarian good. Hmm. I have no idea. Andy Griffith would slit a nun's throat at this point. I, I do sort of want to talk about the, the utilitarian politics of, of Andy Griffith. Because that's sort of what it leans to. So far Andy Griffith basically falls under the camp of utilitarianism. His, his his big thing is greater good and like him and ellie talk about the uh the human equation a lot uh basically uh, like ellie is surprisingly between the an argument between a sheriff and a pharmacist ellie is pro upholding basic statutes of the law and andy is at this point a strict utilitarian sort sure. of creating the most amount of of general human goodness or, or human benefit is possible at, at a fra- fragrant disregard for the law. Okay,
0: a flagrant disregard. Flagrant
1: disregard for the law. It's it's sort of freakish to, to see a, a, a law enforcement figure have this general thing. And again, I feel like it's sort of the logic behind a lot of a lot what of is things. now yeah. well, corruption. like and, and not just corruption, abuse, mm-hmm. like, Basically, a lot, of, a lot of issues that you see done by institutional forces is done in the name of this like vague Andy Griffith sense of utilitarianism, getting to choose which laws you enforce and don't enforce, getting to use the laws you see fit just in the interest of making life in your community better. But Andy has, in doing so, assigned himself the judge of what makes life in Mayberry better. And you sort of, you take Andy Griffith's general logical framework, or moral framework, and you apply it to someone who, for example, doesn't like black people, or, actually, real world real example, someone who doesn't like immigrants, and you have Joe uh, Arapio? Uh,
0: Arapio? Arapio. Arapio. Well, you know, screw it. Arapio. Yeah.
1: Arapio. Actually, yeah. that sounds, that's a more fitting pronunciation of his name. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, you have uh, Joe Arapio. Yeah. Like, it's it's sort of a weird thing where you just translate you 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 take the moral north uh, of Andy Griffith away you put it into you put someone else's north on the compass in there, and you have massively abusive behavior.
0: I want to see an episode where, for whatever reason, Andy is unable to perform his duties, and Barney Fife becomes like steps up and becomes sheriff of Mayberry, and just sees how quickly everything falls to shit when you do not have that benevolent dictator. Yeah. When you set up up this much of a power structure around one man, and that one man falls unable to uh, perform, and you have somebody completely incompetent in that role.
1: He is very much... He is a benevolent dictator. He is judge, jury, and executioner. There is no... There is, like, technically a mayor, but I don't understand what role he functions in... The city because yeah. Andy Griffith makes all possible decisions about this town.
0: Yeah. 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 All right. So, I yeah, know. And, and Barney Fife then is like a heartbeat away from assuming command.
1: From just imposing his terrifying militaristic will upon the poor people of this community, including his poor, poor mother. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: All right. So, uh, what is your rating for episode four? Ellie Comes to Town. First on an Andy scale, how good is this? I, I can't get, I cannot convince myself to give it more than a six.
1: Five.
0: I, I mean, between the blatant sexism and how much I hated that old lady,
1: five. But you know? no, four. It's it. It's not a very good episode. It creates a, a a decent like moral conundrum and then just like gives itself such an easy out. And also, Emma is the worst voice I've ever heard in my entire life. Just oh, okay. do one yeah, yeah. more attempt to say pills. Pills. That one you got a piece of it. You yeah. got like like thirty, forty percent of 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 her nightmarish pronunciation. Yeah, you're you're right. I
0: can't. I three three. A's. Yeah, and, this episode sucks.
1: Yeah, no, it's basically just establishing uh, Ellie and her general moral code. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And for stuff that's like horrifying, like. I mean Andy loses this this one, so
1: yeah, andy gets his ass kicked, Andy does advocate for uh for distribution of a controlled substance uh without any sort of oversight um two fights this is a nothing episode i'd say i'd say I'd say three just because he does really attempt to strong arm a pharmacist into giving away. What he thinks are pain pills. That's true. Without that's a true. prescription. But he,
0: he's not—he's not successful. But he sure does try.
1: It's more horrifying than Manhunt. Really? Uh, no, wait, no. no he leaves no. a woman to die in Manhunt. Yeah, no, know. Uh, it's around man. It's hovering around man. I'm gonna
0: put it way below Manhunt. I'm gonna say three. I mean, this—this—this this, this is three and three. This is a nothing episode. I'd
1: say—I'd say four in terms of fives. I'd say four fives. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. So that's our—that's our episode. I'm gonna give us some social standings. Whatever, we'll probably be like at Breaking Mayberry. If this is,
1: yeah. do, 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 We're locking in at Breaking Mayberry. Uh, yeah, let's do it. Let's. I do mean, it.
0: The, the the domain and everything's available. I like, checked. So
1: unless you guys really like X-Gone Griffith, to you? In which case, start around trying to, to make it happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All
0: right. So thank you for joining us on this episode of Breaking Mayberry. I am Schne- I am Martin R. Schneider. You can uh, follow me on Twitter at SchneiderMarks.
1: I'm Dan Ludwig. You can find me at the LUDS with two D's. Probably should specify that. Yeah,
0: L U D D S. Should have a sign off. Um...
1: x Griffith D? No. God damn it! God damn right, it!
0: So un- until next time, we'll catch y'all down the fishing hole.
1: Oh, yeah, that works.